brought to you by the Mutual Audio Network. With a name like Mutual, it has to be good. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Strong themes. And coarse language may apply. Damn it. Chapter 2. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. That's what it said on my business cards, that's how I answered the telephone, and that's what the neatly printed card on the office door read. When you're something of an oddity, you have three choices. You can pretend you really aren't different from the norm at all. In this case, I suppose becoming oddly androgynous, like the two or three other lady private eyes of my acquaintance. This was plainly not for me. I'm not vain by nature, but the amount of labor that would be required each and every morning to make Miss Dixon seem mannish would be entirely unreasonable, and for too little return. Option two, of course, would be to do what Ma and Pa Dixon had always expected. Realize that you hadn't a hope of carving out a share of hard-boiled human misery for yourself, poor female that you were after all, and meet a nice man, or perhaps go to secretarial school and then meet a nice man. I met lots of nice men. I just didn't keep them around after they stopped being entertaining. And so I had quickly settled upon option three, the porridge that Goldilocks chose. Since the first thing any prospective client said when they saw me was, you're a girl, I took all of the suspense right out of it from the get-go and I never had much cause to regret it. It was true I didn't get a lot of danger and daring do knocking on my little door. Folks who wanted a thug for hire generally went to somebody else. But there was a lot less of that in a private detective's life than the moving pictures would make out, and I did pretty well, all things considered. See, an awful lot of what a real detective does falls in the category of sneaking around, and what better disguise could a private eye have than be a tall blonde with a little too much leg? The first thought through any man's head was not that he ought to behave himself because I just might be a detective there to check up on him. Indeed, it was not in the top ten. I don't mean to give you the wrong impression. In fact, I wore my girlitude on my sleeve for the benefit of my clientele, who were almost exclusively female. If a lady has the idea that her man has been stepping out behind her back, she doesn't want Johnny Hardboiled and his gumshoe orchestra. She doesn't want to tell her story to another man, to feel his leering eyes on her, wondering just what it is she does wrong, or doesn't do at all. That sent the wolf of the house out to the hen house. She wants the straight goods and a shoulder to cry on. It was a solid little niche, and even if it did have the cumulative effect of souring a girl on Prince Charming once and for all. The second drawer of my desk was crammed full of hankies, and I sent them to the cleaners often enough that the folks at the Chinese laundry must have thought I had an appalling sinus condition, or was perhaps allergic to everything. So to say that I was ready for the waterworks when I saw a shadow fall across my doorway was putting it mildly. I looked up with my most welcoming and sensitive smile from the crossword puzzle I had neatly hidden within a brown file folder. What I usually expected to find was a lady standing, red-eyed, hesitating at the threshold as if taking that final step into my office would spell the end of everything, even if that everything was well and truly over already and they knew it full well. It was why I kept the door propped wide open. The little dears would use any excuse to talk themselves out of taking the final plunge into the cold light of truth. Knocking would just be too much for them. And Miss Dixon couldn't have that now, could she? But the sight that met my deep blue eyes on this particular day didn't seem to fit the part. She was put together, composed, maybe even a little amused as she read the card on the door. Do you find it necessary to include the girl detective part, she asked? I do, I replied. Why is that, she asked, a sculpted eyebrow raised. You do not appear otherwise. 
Thanks, I said. The girls at the beauty parlor will be so pleased. I don't mean to offend you, she said, not stepping in. I was just curious what sort of person you are. The title strikes me as frivolous, and I have no need of a frivolous detective. I stuck my pencil in my updo in a businesslike fashion. You must have seen my name somewhere, ma'am, I said. The city directory, perhaps? Or the ad in the gazette? My guest said nothing, but considered me almost impassively. She also did not step beyond the threshold. This was one cool cucumber, but she was just like all the others. After a moment, she nodded. You heard the name, and it brought you here, I said. That's why the girl detective line stays. A 62% increase in foot traffic since I started using it. Is that serious enough for you? She smiled, stepped into the office, and closed the door behind her. I made a mental note to keep using the 62% figure that I had made up on the spot. Whatever works, works. She sat in my client chair and considered the large closet, or very small office, we were sitting in. Not much space, she sniffed. I don't go in for dance numbers in the middle of the day, I said without expression. You just have an answer for everything, don't you, she asked. I said nothing to that, mostly because I knew it would annoy her. She fidgeted with her handbag, and I knew that I was right. Look, I said, by way of a peace offering, it's pretty clear we both like to be in charge. When you're my client, you are. So let's get to that point as quickly as possible, shall we? Very well, Miss Dixon, she said. My problem is my husband. She paused as if I ought to be shocked. I nodded sympathetically, but did not feign surprise. She looked around again. I half expected tea and doilies, she said. Never went in much for doilies, I said. I'm not above decorating certain things with lace, but furniture isn't generally on that list. She actually laughed a little at this, just for half a moment. Then she nodded to herself. I could see her figuring it out, finding her feet. After she had dealt with the husband, she was going to try this routine for herself. Confident, brassy, perhaps a secret hellcat. I hoped that she would like it as much as I always have. As for tea, I continued, I've got some around here somewhere. I also have a bottle of scotch in my desk drawer and two fairly clean glasses if that helps us cut to the chase. She seemed mildly scandalized, but I could tell from the dance in her eyes that the answer was yes. I opened the drawer and produced the goods. Drinking was better than crying. At least it was for me. Do you have any ice? she asked as I poured. No, I said without apology. Where would I be hiding ice? She took her drink and I took mine. She did not throw it back and hold her glass out for an immediate refill, which disappointed me as I would have been expected to keep pace. But she did take a long sip and swirl the glass as if saying hello to an old friend. I decided that I liked her. I almost always found a reason to come to that conclusion. Made everything that followed that much easier. But with her, it wasn't all that hard. If I had to guess, I would say that she was 40, maybe as much as 45, but I didn't think so. She had long, raven-colored hair, which she wore in sophisticated updo. Her clothes were immaculate and fashionable, but not showy. She was the conservative wife of a professional man who never expected to be in this position, but would be damned if she would part with her dignity. I liked her more and took a little of my own drink and waited. My husband, she said at last, is sleeping with another woman. I nodded. This has been going on for quite some time, though I could not say for certain how long. That didn't seem to need a response, so I kept still. My husband is a well-respected professional, and he thinks that is enough, she said. We were entering the monologue now, and I knew better than to get in the way. His reputation means so much to him, but so does his comfort. The comfort that is provided by money. The money that he married into. She paused a little and looked at me as if for effect. I nodded and settled back into my chair. He loves his place in society, his comfortable home, his pleasant little life with everything just so. 
But he thinks that he can have all that, have everything, me, my money, his dignity, and still bounce up and down with his little whore. She looked at me as if I might be shocked, and when I wasn't, she seemed struck with sudden embarrassment. I feel as if you were pulling me apart with your eyes, she said, as she sipped her scotch again. That's part of what I do, I said. She nodded and said nothing. So you want me to confirm your suspicions about your husband, I asked, reaching for a blank contract in my inbox. No, Miss Dixon, she said with a snort and threw back the rest of her drink. Trixie, please, I said, raising the bottle by way of offering a repair. She made a motion as if to decline and changed her mind and held out her glass for a refill of the fine domestic paint thinner. My husband is pathetically predictable, so meticulous in his habits that he could never hope to keep a secret like this for very long. Do you know he sees her on the same night every week? Like a lodge meeting, she snorted again in contempt. What a mad, passionate affair it must be. You followed him yourself, I asked, taking a second drink just to be properly sociable. I did. She tossed her head proudly. I know her address and copied the name from the buzzer. She opened her handbag and passed me a slip of paper. I don't know if this is really her name, but she lives there alone. I sat there quietly impressed for a moment, partly because it seemed like the thing to do, partly because it was true. At length, I asked the question, So what do you need from me? I want to be rid of him, she hissed, her anger finally pouring out of her, and I want him left with nothing. I want unquestionable proof of his infidelity, the kind that I can make sure people see if he puts up any kind of fight in court. That would destroy him. I know it would. You want pictures, I said. It was not a question. I want him sleeping in a room above a service station, she said with a snarl. I want him cooking on a hot plate, washing his shirt in the sink, thinking every day about the life he threw away. It seems to me that pictures would be the perfect place to start. I nodded and slipped two contract forms into the typewriter with a piece of carbon paper. I think we can arrange that, I said, all business. Can we start with your name? Mayfield, she said. Anne Mayfield. This is Thursday Thrillers, audio with action on the Mutual Audio Network. Join us tomorrow on Mutual with Friday Follies, the end-of-the-week collection of comedy cut-ups. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of audio drama that fits your fancy. Or find the Friday Follies feed in your favorite podcast players. Now that's a lot of effus. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.